This week's guest is Roger Machen, the Product Marketing Manager at Canon South Africa. This is a fun, relaxed chat about bird photography, the highs, the lows, and the equipment that makes it a lot more enjoyable. We chat about cameras, lenses, editing software, and photographers that make us green with envy. And we settle the raw versus JPEG debate. This is a lacquer episode. Oh, and in case you're wondering, this episode isn't sponsored by Canon. So no matter what brand you use, you are going to love this chat. Westermans is running a wild bird competition. When you buy a Westermans Wild Bird 10kg limited edition bag, you get two collectible cards. And in addition to collecting the Wild Bird cards, you'll stand a chance to win amazing prizes worth over 100,000 Rand, including a pair of Swarovski EL 10x42 HD binoculars valued at 45,000 Rand. The competition runs until the 31st of August, and you'll find more details at www.westermans.co.za. Westermans, for the love of birds. My name is Adam, and this Proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, software, and anything that we think birders would want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. So, let's hear from Roger Machen. So, I've got Roger Machen again on the Birding Life podcast. Welcome back to the show. Hi there, how are you doing? Thanks very much for the uh, the invite. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's nice and cold down in Durban. I think a little bit warmer than Johannesburg. I speak to someone <laughs> in Johannesburg this morning. They say it's quite freezing up there. Yeah, we're about to hit a. Well, we had the cold front over the weekend, which was downright uh, downright bitter, which is uh, yeah special. But I mean, we had snow like two weeks ago, which is the first time in uh, how many years? Ten years, something like that. So yeah, I, I do envy you guys down the coast there. Well, we had, we had all the stuff. We had like all the riots and COVID, all that in KZN. This, you've got gas leaks and snow in Joburg, so yeah. you guys are getting it all this time. Yeah, that's special explosion, hey? Sure. Um, yeah, gas is denying it's them. Water's denying it's them. And everybody else is denying it's them. It doesn't look like gas. It's quite weird. Anyway, yeah, watching the videos is funny. Well, it was quite interesting this weekend, just on a very unburdening related news. So uh, Sunday afternoon, spent five hours in front of the TV, glued to the TV, watching the uh, Wimbledon final. It's quite cool to see all the Canon cameras. You know, it's qu- quite a quite an array of Canon cameras on the side of the yeah. of the, the court. It's quite, it shows us, shows us a good camera. Eh? Well, yeah, it, it's, we've always been popular in the sporting uh, sporting environment. It, it's getting a little bit tricky uh, now than um, it used to be. It used to be one of those things where you could go to a football match and count all the black lenses, that was Nikon, and count all the white lenses, that was Canon. Uh, but there's another brand that's jumped into the into the fray, and they've painted their lenses white, so um, it's not quite as clear cut as it used to. So it's now sort of uh, Canon, Nikon, Sony um, as the three three brands, um, and not all the white lenses are Canon, but um, by far and away, Canon and Sony are the two dominant brands in most most sporting events. Um, good that you notice that at Wimbledon it's quite a strange thing because the Wimbledon photography area is quite well hidden. Because uh, it's one of those things that they try and keep them well out of sight, unlike you know, sort of football or rugby, for example. We're not talking about rugby, are we? <laughs> no, we are talking about rugby. Good, good. So one of the photos I did see from there was actually uh, flipping amazing. It was a picture of Djokovic, and I know we're talking tennis, but it's, it's my show, so we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Go on. Then. And from the from the side of the court, they got this photo, and like the ball was half passing through the 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 racket. Absolutely 
fantastic sure. shot. Ever got that uh, amazing shot? Well, the, the, you know, this is the benefit to the new mirrorless technology. You know, the um, the fastest film camera we ever had, uh, sorry, fastest digital camera we ever had was the 1DX Mark III at 16 frames a second, which seems seemed at the time like greased lightning. Uh, now with the R6 uh, Mark II at 40 frames a second, those those shots are just like substantially easier to know. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to deny the fact. It's like, oh my gosh, your camera takes great pictures. Um, there's an inordinate amount of skill that's required in the first place, but um, yeah, having those uh, extra frames a second makes makes it uh, absolutely possible to get those kind of things. So last time we had you on the show, you were chatting about how you know you were kind of in the infancy of your birding journey, and you had kind of done a couple of trips uh, yeah. testing out, probably testing out equipments, and how you were getting. Hooked slowly but surely. I'm sure you got a bit of a laugh list going on. I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if your son's still getting better photos, photos than you. So how's the the birding journey going? Well, the the, the birding journey's um, going from from strength to strength. Uh, it's quite phenomenal. Um, very fortunate that I'm very good friends with uh, a Mr. Trevor Hardacre, and pretty much if if I've if I've got a trip to Cape Town, I um, and it's on a Friday, I'll try and stay till the, the Saturday afternoon and then dash out in the country with him to try and nab one or two extra lifers. Um, big benefit is, is, is traveling a lot. Uh, I did an Eastern Cape trip, uh, I did a Northern Natal trip. So the numbers are actually, uh, skyrocketing, but, um, I think the monster that, uh, that we got was in December last year, I did a trip up to, um, Chobe, uh, as guests with, uh, with the guys at Pangolin and, uh, they had a birding festival together with, uh, Melanie Pretorius and, uh, and Trevor Hardacre as hosts. Uh, with guests coming along specifically to aim at um, birding, uh, and December is normally their quietest time because it's overcast. It's uh, it's their rainy season, so they don't get a lot of visitors. So to try and get some people in, it's when the migrants are in. Uh, we decided to 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 get up there. Now um, I've been to Chobe twice. And I think the first time I, I, I nailed about thirteen or fourteen lifers uh, on my own. The second time I did uh, about five or six. So my expectations were were not necessarily that high. Um, but having said that, birding with Trevor Hardacre is another animal altogether. And uh, I came back with um, a casual 30-odd 30, 30 lifers. Um, the biggest bonus was that uh, I got to take Luke with me. Uh, and as you mentioned, he um, his skill is just going from strength to strength. is just uh, absolutely phenomenal. His reaction times are still way, way, way quicker than me. Uh, I, I got a little bit of an edge on him when the uh, R7 came out and it had that raw burst mode. So as I'm hitting the button, I've already got 15 frames in the in the bank. Um, so I'm catching up with him in, on the um, uh, on on the uh, quality of the speed of, uh, of, of pictures. But um, I, it's just a, 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 an absolute natural. Um, and as I say, go, going taking him up to Chobe for his first trip was absolutely mind blowing for him. And uh, he came back with 51 lifers, which was absolutely epic. So uh, we don't really have South Africa list. We have the Southern Africa list. Which is the you know, the one that everybody, the majority of people, sort of add to. Luke's currently sitting at uh, four forty nine, which for a, a fourteen year old kid's not bad at all. He's doing pretty well at uh, just under four fifty. Um, I need to get him to the Cape and the Eastern Cape to get some extra numbers. Uh, and I literally went over five fifty on Saturday uh, with Trevor at um, uh, into Kai Forest nailing. Uh, Rufus Chested Sparrowhawk and Chaffinch and Forest Canary, which took me to uh, five five one. So, yeah, uh, considering we only started about um, uh, what the year before twenty eighteen, so about two years before lockdown, and uh, and a year of not going out anywhere, um, yeah, and three three and a half four years uh, to get to to uh, four fifty for, for for Luke's brilliant, 
and uh, five fifty for me. I'm I'm actually very very happy. Um, except now it's getting brutally bloody difficult, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you need to get out. Have you done a pelagic with Trevor yet? No, that's the one thing I know damn well. I'll get an extra sort of 10, 15 species at least if I do a pelagic. So, yeah, it's just finding the time. Every time I get there, the weather's always cuck. I still need to get to Royale, so I don't have uh, Rock Jumper. I don't have uh, Ground uh, Woodpecker, which are like nonstop at Royale's. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, considering I go, I go to Cape Town once a month, uh, it's actually just finding the time to get out there and actually go and do some birding. But um, I'm slowly but surely cleaning up the uh, the groups. So, you know, getting racket tail roller for me was amazing up in Chobe because I've now got all the rollers. Um, I'm hopefully in the next couple of weeks going to be in Durban and uh, grab mangrove, which will then clean up my kingfishers. I've got all the kingfishers. Those are the kind of things I do like doing is, is, is sort of finishing a group so I have every species that's seen. I don't know if it's just me or if it's a neurotic kind of thing that birders do, or, but um, yeah, it's something I do really enjoy is closing a group. And then in terms of, I mean, you spoke about going to Chobe, which is like flipping amazing. In terms of photography, yeah. um, you've obviously gone around and done a bit of bird photography, which are, in your opinion, are some of the best places in Southern Africa to do bird photography. So if somebody was going and said, specifically, maybe someone listening from overseas and says, I specifically want to come to South Africa for the purpose of bird photography, where would be some places that they should be visiting? Well, you know, to be, to be honest with you, it's it's very dependent on what you want to do. Some of my most amazing photographs have been taken at Murrayvale. You know, it's 50Ks from Joburg. Uh, and that's purely because of the amount of time I spent there. You know, when my, my daughter was volunteering at uh, Wildlife in Crisis, I would drop her off there and go and do some bird photography. And um, I'm still out there on a regular basis. Um, I was out there about sort of two, three weeks ago. And, you know, I photographed brown-throated martins till I'm blue in the face. And I, I do love shooting them because they're an absolute, absolute challenge. But for the first time, I actually had um, a tw- the 1200 mil, the, uh, the little 450,000 round cannon lens that we announced the uh, uh, middle of last year. And hand-holding a 1200 mil with an R3 at 30 frames a second, trying to find a, a, a brown-throated martin in the sky because, I mean, your angle of view is absolutely minute to begin with and um and trying to hold it still at like 2000 2500th of a second and um the shots that i got when i did finally get them thank goodness for an epic bloody strong wind that the martins were flying into um i got i got the shot that i've been wanting for absolutely ages you know with the, the, the beak dipping in the water and that little water droplet in the air and just this beautiful background the fact that i didn't have to travel far to do it um, is one of the things that I, I have to say to a lot of people. Some of my, I've got some amazing uh, great kestrel shots taken at Ridgeplate just, just near Joburg. It's 7Ks from the Canon office in Centurion. It, it's crazy. But um, if you want the exotics, if you want the numbers, Chobe, um, Chobe nails it all the time. The difficulty with Chobe, believe it or not, it's not so much a great bird photography destination because the best species are there in uh, October, November, December, which is also the rainy season. So lots of gray overcast skies, lots of shooting up into trees because you're down at the water level, uh, lots of silhouettes, lots of you know, blown out backgrounds. From a photographic perspective, it's it's not brilliant. Having said that, getting eye level with, uh, with jacanas, getting eye level with pygmy geese, getting um, low, low, low down for, for things, exotics like Luapula cisticola, that was an absolute winner for me when I found that one. 
because uh, I didn't even know I had it. It was one of those things you look at afterwards, taking a shot of of of, of Quelia through the sky and thinking that's going to be interesting later, and then looking at afterwards and finding out three months after the trip to, to find that it's a flock of red-headed Quelia, not red builds, and you had a life for three months after you come back. It's, it's fun, fun, fun. But um, you know, Saint Lucia is is epic for. Um, amazing species any time of the year um and, and it's it's the, the ones that you see there are just truly utterly spectacular um i'm a huge fan of eastern cape don't ever knock uh neisner wilderness all the way up to uh east london the birding you get down that end of the world is is just absolutely manic and then um west coast national park uh trevor took me out to a place near uh Langerbahn. And um, you need big lenses. Make no mistake; it's not a, a 400 mil lens into, into the world. It's 600, 800 mil at least. But sure, some of the stuff that we shot there, astonishing black harrier hovering over Namaqualand daisies. You can see it in your eyes. I mean, it's it's just wow, man. Um, yeah, some of the best photography. You have to go to the extremities. You know, it, it really is. Get you get yourself to the to the far corners. Um, but you know, I, to be fair, I also shot at uh, Tiger Canyon, which is two two hours south of Bloemfontein, out um, uh, out in the the top end of the Karoo, absolute arid desert end of the world, and things like blue Kohan and um, spike heeled larks and all those kind of things, getting brown birds in brown backgrounds and working your ass off to make them stand out. It's hard work and challenges your phot- photography. Um, the only thing I can say is so many people got to get obsessed with traveling. And sometimes it's actually not. It's, it's, it's actually not so much about traveling. It's about time in field. Go to Mari Vale once a week for four months and shoot the same birds every single time and just get better and better and better. The shots I took of Avocet and Spoonbill three weeks ago are some of the best I've ever taken, purely because I've taken so many photographs of them for so long. I know their behavior. And I'm now playing artistically, doing some black and white and doing some, you know, 10,000 degrees Kelvin white balance to just play with the orange and all sorts of different colors. Fun, fun, fun. Funny thing about the red-headed quelia. So Aslan and Mamzin Toti, just south of Durban. Um, we hopefully will get you, next couple of weeks, get you your mangrove kingfisher. But yes, the please. cool thing about that was was the, the red-headed quelias. That used to be a little garden bird for me. I mean, I sat one day, I, think, I was just sitting in my garden, uh, sitting in my lounge, look out the, looked out the door. And there was redded aquilia feeding in my garden, oh, and they word. literally would have massive flocks of these birds coming in every single day. People used to come from Joburg, would message me, and they'd come park on the other side, and put bird seed out, wait a couple of minutes, and the birds would would show up. So no it's quite a, quite a, a beautiful bird, eh? It is. It's lo- stunning, and, and surprising when you see it. You know, oh. sorry, I'm, I'm just opening Bird Pro. I didn't even know there was a population down the coast. Who knew? <laughs> well, well. funny enough, they're in the Mams and Toji, so this is just maybe a bit of a gen for people that are listening, there, there's actually a big, a nice nesting colony by um, one of the beaches here. They look on the other side of the reeds and you get tons of red-headed quellas in it. So it's where they nest. Fantastic. It's really, really cool. Sure. I had no idea. <laughs> so last time we chatted on the show, the R7 was about to be released. Yeah. Uh, and... It was a lot of excitement, a lot of of questions about that. And I know the R7 has been an absolute game changer. You know, people that I see taking photos, the photos are on another level. I'm super jealous. I'm trying to work out. If it wasn't for my car taking all my money, I would have maybe been able to save to get one. But when my clutch goes in my car and that, unfortunately, became the R7 money goes to get my clutch fixed. But it's another story altogether. 
So what's been happening in the world of Canon since the release of the R7 that will wow. make bird photographers excited? Well, um, not not a hell of a lot, to be honest with you, from the from the birding perspective. You know, we've been um, putting a whole bunch of different products into the market, uh, left, right, and center, aimed at a, a vast array, array of different uh, photography genres. Um, I was very fortunate that when I got into serious bird photography, that Canon launched things like the bird eye autofocus on the R5 and the R6. We launched that super well priced 600mm f11 and 800mm f11. Um, those two for, for bird photography alone uh, are just radical. And then um, when the R7 came along and the um, as a combination with the 100 500, um, oh my gosh, I, I, again, I was, I was speaking to Trevor a week or so ago, he, he came back to me, he was like, uh, everywhere he goes, every pelagic trip he's doing, every, every, um, you know, what's his name, whenever a, a rarity twitches, uh, when a rarity rocks up like that, that uh, American gallon you that rocked up in Claremont. He's just like, every single time he goes out, there's more R700, 500s. It seems like a match made in heaven. Um, and it goes back to, you know, when, when we launched the 7D uh, with 100, 400, the 72 with 100, 400 Mark II as a combination. Um, the, the bird is the wildlife, the sport action photographers jumped on that combo and loved it to pieces. Now, you know, make no mistake, the 72, the, the R7 with the 100, 500 is, is a fair whack of money. But not to be uh, sneezed at is the R10, which is like the the light version of the R7, and the 100-400, which is not a great white uh, lens. It's a small black lens uh, in terms of builds. Uh, it's very, very compact, very, very lightweight. Um, but I, I took a whole bunch of them up to Choby um, to give to guests for walking. And they all raved about the R10 with 100-400 as a little walk-around type of camera. You know, effectively, the crop sensor makes it a 150 to 600. The size and weight means you you can carry it for you know several hours without actually even stressing too much. Uh, sorry, it sounds like a blatant sales pitch, doesn't it? Yeah, sorry, no. but um, it not to be sneezed at as a combination. The R10, super small, super light, uh, really really quick, really good ca capabilities. It's not the same resolution as the R7, not quite as fast as the R7, but uh, with 100, 400, a really good starting off one uh, for people getting into it. Uh, and it definitely has that animal and bird eye autofocus. Um, and then when you throw something like the 600 f11 into the mix and or the 800 all of a sudden on a crop sensor you've got you know two or three lenses in a very very small package without having to break the bank in the greater scheme of things and getting the benefit of the new mirrorless tech um, it is it is kind of phenomenal um, we've launched a couple of other cameras since then the um, the r50 came along as the new little uh, vlogging tool of choice. Uh, overwhelmingly, people are going to love that in the vlogging arena. We, we launched the R8, which is an astonishing full-frame camera that's very much like a light version of the R6 Mark II. The R6 Mark II is very much a light version of the R3. So putting some nice high-speed, very, very attractive products into the uh, into the market, uh, but not only, you know, oh, yes, you know, we've got 30 frames a second, uh, but you have to pay 100,000 Rand for it. Well, no, there's the, the R6 too, which is half that, and then the, the R8, which is less than that as well. So uh, a lot of interesting things there, but um, the major move has been lenses. Um, our, our CEO came out middle of last year and he said, Canon's going to launch eight new mirrorless lenses a year for the next four years, which was quite quite a surprise. Um, having, having said that, we've we've had four lenses this year already, and there's a very good chance there's going to be another four before the end of the year. So yeah, uh, it is exciting times. Uh, we're filling the gaps in the range. We're putting a whole bunch of interesting things into the mix, uh, where the engineers have just been given 
free reign to make what they want, come up with some new new technologies. This is where like the 800 mil F11 came along, the uh, you know the 28 to 70 F2, the 100 mil macro with the uh, spherical aberration correction, the 85 1.2 with uh, defocus smoothing. The engineers are just been given free reign to just make stuff so yeah watch this space it's exciting times yeah it's quite interesting i mean i just was you know while you were on there googling and just checking so you, <laughs> i mean a question that a, a question that people always ask you know it, it comes up again and again you know there's obviously these high-end photographers that are happy to spend you know sixty thousand rand on a lens and yeah. i mean that's probably like bottom end where they're spending and 40 50 000 rand on a camera i mean i've got a mate that every new canon camera that canon releases he buys and it's like not even a problem i love him but, i mean you're I looking at him. the, the put, my, put my kids through high school well you don't even understand how many cameras this guy's got it's insane uh, it's like another story altogether he's he he should be like one of your ambassadors or something he's <laughs> insane but anyway on on a side side of this your 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 canon uh, r10 you're looking at about i mean 17 odd thousand rand yeah. and the lens there you're looking at about 13 14 thousand rand which i mean you know for a for a good a decent wildlife uh, or a decent bird wildlife photography setup for 30,000 Rand by today's standards is actually not that much money. Sure, sure. And I, I mean, far be it for me to say it's, it's cheap. It, it certainly isn't. And a 30,000 Rand is a, is a lot of money in anybody's language. It, it's it's a good start into the mirrorless arena. What, what I have to say to you is um, the timing right now in terms of uh, the secondhand world is better than it's ever been um and and for a lot of people getting into uh photography if you don't really critically need uh mirrorless if you're prepared to handle dslr for another couple of years the secondhand market for dslr is getting saturated quickly there's more and more people moving to mirrorless they're trading in their slrs um off the record, one of well, no, sorry, off the record, we're, on, we're live on a podcast. Um, one, one, of, one of our pro dealers uh, I was speaking to the other day uh, when I asked how many secondhand SLRs he had in the cupboard, he was, um, you'd be scared to 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 think. And I was like, what is it over a hundred? He says, dude, it's over three hundred. Um, so the secondhand DSLR market is exceptionally good. There's a lot of stuff out there. The lenses are proving to be a little bit tricky because a lot of people are hanging on to their lenses and using them on the new mirrorless, which is a great advantage. You know, if you start out, you know, using the old 100-400 on a new mirrorless is fantastic. Absolutely no saga whatsoever. You're not getting the maximum benefit of speed, unfortunately. The um, the DSLR lenses were only designed for, for like 16, 17 frames a second. So if, if your camera can do 20, 20, 30 frames a second, you're still only getting 16, 17 because that's what the lens can do. But... Um, what it essentially means is there's a lot of secondhand gear out there. And the more that goes into the market, the more the prices are coming down. And the more the prices are coming down, the more interesting it becomes, the more lucrative it becomes for, for, for people to get into it. And you can get a lot of camera and a lot of lens for actually some really, really good prices now. It's quite scary. Uh, look at places like Bid or Buy, look at Facebook Marketplace, uh, look at all the secondhand dealers. And uh, you know, put your hand up and say, listen, this is the kind of budget I've got. Uh, this is the kind of camera I want. Secondhand 90Ds, my gosh, they're just like hotcakes. Um, and unbelievable that, that everybody I know is looking for secondhand 90Ds, 80Ds, 70Ds. Those are all fantastic cameras, really, really capable, really, really quick, lightweight bodies. And, you know, as I say, lots of secondhand lenses out there. So, sure, it's not always about new stuff. And, you know, my boss would hate me to say that, you know, it, you know don't go and buy the new mirrors. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Um, if you've got the money for it, by all means do. 
But um, you know, for a lot of people, thirty thousand rand is still a lot of money. So you know, second hand, you know, below twenty, you can get a lot of stuff. Uh, and even if you're starting out, the, you know, the bridge cameras, the you know, the the SX seventy is still our, our monster, still flying off the shelf. We still can't get enough of those. Uh, for a lot of people, that bridge camera is amazing. But um, I'm seeing a lot of second hand SX fifty, SX sixties, uh, which again, a phenomenal camera for the money you you're paying for them. I, I saw an SX sixty go the other day for about four grand. Which is crazy because that's you know it's like an eight nine hundred millimeter lens if I'm not mistaken on a twenty odd million pixel sensor. Nothing wrong with that at all if you're getting started, and it's very very easy to become hooked. Uh, it really really is. I mean that Nati D camera that was if I remember correctly that was almost the camera that came out just before the whole mirrorless boom came out. So I mean that's a the, uh, fantastic camera to get your hands on. Yeah, twenty eighteen I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some great photos of the of, of, of the 90D. It's really worth worth getting your hands on. As always, the Burning Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. Something I was interested in just before we, were, we, we, we went on air, which I was quite interested to know, you know, there's obviously all this, the processing software out there, oh, yeah. there's uh, Lightroom, uh, obviously Photoshop, there's Topaz, which a whole lot of people are talking about. But I was quite interested. I mean, you did mention last time about the the, the software that, that Canon has. Right. But, you know, I think it might be like one of the one of the pieces of software that, you know, kind of gets that looked over yeah. when people talk. I mean, everyone talks about Lightroom and all these things. So yeah. tell us about the Canon processing software. Obviously, this is only for um, Canon cameras, obviously. For sure, yeah. Um, well, it, essentially, Canon has a digital photo professional. It's not the most powerful program out there. It's not the fastest program out there, but it's Canon's raw processing engine. And it links with uh, Adobe. If you already have Adobe installed, uh, you can open your files in uh, in digital photo professional, do your basic edits, and, and then send it on to Lightroom. What's the most critical thing is that the changes you make on a camera uh if you're shooting raw and you add you know change your white balance or you change your focus point or you change your uh picture style or whatever it is all of those changes that you make are now are added to a file on top of the raw data uh, and the, the the file is like a little xml file and if you open that raw file in uh lightroom for example lightroom ignores that xml file and you only ever see the pure data and a lot of people come to me and they say well the picture on the back of the camera looks different to the picture in the software. So, okay, well, if you're in Lightroom, um, I'm not surprised because you know Lightroom doesn't look at the the, the additional stuff on on the top there. It only looks at the raw data. Um, but if you open Canon's DPP, um, what 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 you've put in terms of your settings on the top of that image, from picture styles to uh, aberration correction, all that kind of story, all of that is now added to that raw data. So you actually get what you see is what you get. If you do plus one on the camera and you do plus one on the software, it's exactly the same change. Uh, it's absolutely identical versus, you know, plus one on the camera might be plus seven on, on Lightroom. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from, you know, because I, I don't play in Lightroom at all. 
the digital photo professional for me is um, is very very good. There's lots of really cool things. It's the only way you can open your raw burst mode from the the R3. Uh, sorry, R7. Uh, it's the only way you can look at uh, the HDR files um, uh, again from uh, from various cameras from the five. Uh, R5 onwards, etc. Um, yeah, there's compositing tools, there's cropping tools, a whole bunch of really, really cool things. Very, very simple. But most importantly, it's got this uh, digital lens optimizer built into it. A digital lens optimizer is something that's uh, a little software package that was built and designed by the guys who built and designed the lenses. And it's a, it's a little tab on the end of, you know, end of the tool palette in Digital Photo Professional. It's just this lens tab. And what you essentially do, if you've got one of the older cameras, so all of the new mirrorless cameras and mirrorless lenses have this software built in. But if you've got one of the older cameras, the older lenses, for example, opening a file in Digital Lens Optimizer, the engineer, engineer who made that lens, uh, if we take it as an example, probably the one, one of the most common ones is the, um, the EF24-70 2.8, the Mark I, not the Mark II. Um, there was a lot of purple fringing at 24mm at 2.8. There was a lot of vignetting at 70mm. Um, there was a bit of uh, edge sharpness uh, somewhere in the middle of the zoom. And for an L-series lens, um, in order to make a 2.8 throughout the entire range, in order to keep it under uh, 1.5 kilos, in order to keep it under $2,000, the engineer has to make some sacrifices. So what he's then done, he's written a software algorithm that then can correct all of those specifics on that specific lens. So you open the file that's been taken on that lens, you go to your digital lens optimizer tab, and it's and you say, download the, the file for that. And, and the files are small. Uh, they could be anything from as little as 17 kilobytes to about 15 meg, I think is the biggest one. Meg, not gig, so tiny. Uh, it'll download the file, and then you just hit the digital lens optimizer tool, and it will do a whole bunch of corrections from peripheral uh, illumination to vignetting to sharpness uh, to diffraction to um, I can't remember what the final one was uh, perspective control I think it is barreling pin cushing all that kind of thing distortion it corrects all of these things in software afterwards and and, it, and then applies it to that XML file on top of the raw file so your raw data never changes your raw data stays where it is all those changes are made on that XML file when you export that file, if you now want to send it send it out as a 16-bit TIFF to, to Photoshop to do some cropping or whatever it is, or whatever else you want to do, then those 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 combinations are saved together and it's bonded within the file. But um, yeah, DPP is phenomenal and so it's a great little package. Above and beyond all else, it's free, uh, and that that to my mind is actually one of the greatest things about it. It, it remains free and it will remain free for a foreseeable for foreseeable future. It's updated on a regular basis. Every time we launch a new camera, there's a new version of the software, and they tweak and they edit and they modify and they improve every single time. Um, and every single raw file, uh, you know, when you first buy a new camera, it's brand new on the market. There's very often a situation where you know Lightroom can't see the raw files as yet because it's a new raw file, and as such, uh, you have to use DPP to to be able to see your images. Um, I'm a huge fan, uh, not only because of the fact that, you know, we, we don't have Adobe on our computers because, you know, Canon hasn't uh, bought a license for the entire company. It's a bit, bit of an expensive maneuver, that one. Um, but to be fair, it's, it's actually pretty good. Now, I'm not going to knock any of the other packages. Lightroom's phenomenal. Topaz are absolutely amazing. Um, one of the things I will say to to a lot of people, and I, and I see it day in, day out, when I'm sitting in the bird hide next to somebody next to me, or I'm sitting with you know on, on a boat in Chobe, whatever the case may be, I'm always sitting with somebody and they're going, 
geez, what ISO are you shooting at? So I'm like, I don't even look at ISO. I'm like, oh my gosh, I set my limiter to 16, 1600. I don't ever shoot over 1600. I don't ever do this. And like, they're sitting there with their fingers not on the trigger, not actually taking a photograph, not doing anything because the ISO is too high. They don't want to take a photo. Don't want to take a photo. And they go and they just like walk away with you know oh that shot would have been amazing if it had if there'd been more light that shoot, shot would have been amazing if I had a two point eight lens that shot would have been brilliant if I had a um, the, all these woulda coulda shoulda um, my attitude is take your auto ISO put it to you know minimum at a hundred maximum at fifty odd thousand and go shoot full stop there's nothing don't stop don't stop shooting because you think it's too dark dark don't stop shooting because it looks like it's twenty thousand iso don't stop shooting just shoot the odds of getting a shot and then being able to process it and as i said the the, the software the tope has no, noise noise reduction is phenomenal but there's other stuff there's there's other things like noise ninja is out there lightroom's just launched a new noise thing we've got a new uh, a, a, a part of digital photo professional a, a paid for thing where you can uh do neural network processing uh, for noise reduction, you can actually upload files to to Canon if you if you buy a month, one month license, and they'll do the noise processing centrally as well. Um, so pretty much everybody's you know all about this noise processing and sharpening, and um, there's a lot that can be done. There's so much that can be done, but you know they can only do it if you have an image. <laughs> if you haven't hit the trigger and you haven't taken the shot, you, you, yeah, I wonder if I could have noise processed that picture of that you know pygmy kingfisher in that tree that i just didn't take because it was twenty thousand iso just take the picture that's the only lesson i'm going to give you so i want to ask a very basic question now and i just was as you were talking there about raw and all these things you know this is so for experienced photographers this is gonna be like why the hell are you asking this question but i'm gonna ask it anyway because you know, a lot of newer, a new, lot of newer photographers, and I was actually uh, working with some photographers the other day, just some younger guys trying to teach them, and they were shooting all their photos on JPEG. And I just saying, dudes, just go to start shooting on RAW. What is the difference between RAW and JPEG? You know, for a oh, photographer yeah. who's listening to this, who's starting off, why, you know, sure. when when is it permissible? Let's use the word. When is it permissible to shoot in JPEG? Sure. And <laughs> and what are the benefits of shooting RAW? What is the difference in simple language? Don't don't, I don't we don't want technical hop stuff there simple language the difference between jpeg yeah. and raw and when is it okay to shoot in jpeg and when is it okay to when when should you be shooting in raw right um okay it, it's it's relatively straight straightforward J, jpeg um any corrections you make to the image like uh oversaturation um over contrast under sharpening or whatever whatever the settings are on the camera that information is now baked into the file it's attached to the file and it is part of that file any editing you do to that image afterwards deteriorates the file jpeg is a compression file and it compresses it makes the information small so instead of you know writing down this sort of 20 million pixels pixel number one is blue pixel number two is blue with a hint of red pixel number three is you know blue with a a slightly more red pixel number four is not as much blue but like slightly more red that information when you shoot raw every single pixel's information is recorded jpeg goes four blue pixels some of them a bit red because it's smaller information and that's what jpeg does it compresses and every time you open it and then you change some things and you save it again you've lost some of that quality because it's now making a decision to compress and compress and compress and compress and quality goes down very very rapidly raw files are substantially bigger 
uh, make no mistake, they're, they're, they're quite massive. So you do need bigger memory cards. And it's often the, the biggest mistake that beginners make is buying a camera, skimping on the memory card, either in terms of capacity or in terms of speed. Um, they'll buy a small card or they'll buy a slow speed card and then they'll shoot on JPEG and then they start editing afterwards and they can't realize I'm not getting the quality I want. Then they try and shoot raw and because there's, the files are bigger, the speed of the card now is determined uh, is now determining the speed of the camera. So you'll shoot click, click, click and you go, hang on a second, why is the camera stopped? It's busy writing to the card because the files are now bigger. So if you can, when you do buy a camera, buy a decent card. Get a good brand, get as, as high a capacity as you can and as fast as you can, and then take the benefit of raw files. Now, raw files, you need software. Uh, if you're Canon, you can get a free version of DPP. If you're not Canon, uh, all of the other companies do make a version of software that is available for you to edit raw files. Um, for the most part, they aren't free, but they aren't expensive. Let's put it that way. I think we're still the only manufacturer that does the free raw converter. But... The sooner you shoot raw, the better you're going to be. Every single change I make to that image um, is embedded in the XML file. It's not embedded in the raw data itself. It's only when I convert that raw data to something else. If I convert it to a TIFF file or I convert it to a JPEG or I convert it afterwards, that all that information is combined. But for the most part, when I'm making changes to raw files, I'm not actually changing the raw data at all. I'm just changing an adjustment level on top. So I can get a look and feel of what it would do. And if I'm sending something to print, then and only then are those, sent, uh, are those things merged. Uh, or if I'm converting it to another file to email or to, to, to do something else with. Um, for the most part, shoot raw if you can. But first and foremost, buy a decent card, buy a fast card, buy something that's a reasonably big capacity. But um, the world is changing. You know, raw files used to be massive. Uh, and there's now new, new, new C-RAW. Uh, Canon, Sony, and Nikon have got uh, a compressed RAW version, which is still a RAW file, but it's a much smaller file size. There doesn't seem to be any loss in there. There doesn't seem to be any reason to not use it. Um, but it, it's, you know, if you want if you want files that are going to last you for a lifetime and you want to be able to come back in two years' time when there's more powerful software, what I've been able to look at, images that I would have discarded two, three years ago because they were too noisy or not quite sharp, I can go into software packages now and have a look at it and go, hang on a second, there might be something there. If it was a JPEG, there's not a lot I can do. If it's a raw file, there's still a lot I can do. Sure, short answer. Damn it, Adam, you should have known by, by now there's no short answers. And another interesting conversation, I chatted to Clint Ralph a few weeks back and uh, he was chatting about, uh, you know, where... You know, there's there's this lean to where we and I know when I started photography, the guy that mentored me said, "No, no, you've always got to shoot in manual, shoot in manual." Yeah. And you know, as I've grown as a a bird photographer, I can be honest with you, I actually very rarely shoot in manual. I mean, I, I I'd use different modes depending on what what I what what I'm looking for, and I think right. even that kind of thing. You know, I, I like what Clint was saying because it's kind of like one of those controversial things, almost like the the elitists talk about. You got to shoot in manual, and he says a lot of the top wildlife, a lot of the, the top bird photographers aren't actually shooting manual themselves. They're shooting 
with other settings. You know, maybe you could just comment on that a little bit. Manual versus using the the more automatic settings. I'm not talking about full automation. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. talking about I know what you mean. stuff. Yeah, semi the different modes. Semi-automatic. Yeah. Um, to be to be honest with you, um, one of the things I must admit I did find that you know when I was shooting AV, you know, AV was something I would shoot more than anything else. Uh, and uh, aperture value or A mode on on one of the other cameras, where you're selecting the f-stop, the camera will select the best speed. For the most part, I was also selecting manual, uh, se selecting automatic ISO. So the speed was de being determined by the camera, but this, the camera doesn't know the speed the bird that I'm shooting. Uh, you know, if I'm shooting at Brown Street and Martin, I want to be able to know what that speed is. Um, so I would then go to shutter value. So shutter value. Again, um, I'm choosing the speed based on the speed of the bird I'm, 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 I'm photographing. If it's a, a Goliath heron, a yellow bull stalk, for example, I don't need mega speeds. I need like, you know, uh, 1,200, 1,300 of a second. If I've got good light, I'll, I'll crank it up if I want to freeze it. But if I want a little bit of wingtip blur, like a like a, a crowd plover, for example, I want that little bit of wingtip blur, I'm going to shoot around about sort of 1,200, maybe a 1,000th of a second, rather than going up to the top. And then I would find by default, the cameras would always choose on, on time value would always choose the widest aperture to try and get the lowest ISO. So in the, in the greater scheme of things, by shooting on time value, I'm choosing a shutter speed, the camera is selecting the widest aperture, which kind of made like really no sense. Um, so what I do now, actually, I, I shoot full manual. I, I literally, I have um shutter speed on my index finger i have aperture on my thumb i have uh is uh, exposure compensation on on a third dial either on the the lens with the new mirrorless or on the back of the camera and i leave it in auto iso and i've set the parameters of the auto iso to minimum 100 maximum 50,000. i do it on every single camera i couldn't give a crap about what maximum iso is and for the most part, my aperture, I'm leaving it. I, in fact, 99% of the time, I leave it at maximum aperture. I leave it wide open. Uh, if I'm shooting F4, I want it's F4. That's what it is. It's only if I'm shooting birds in flight and I want to have a little bit more of the bird in focus, depending on the size of the bird, that I'll turn that, that wheel. If I've got a 600 F4, for example, and I'm shooting Goliath Heron, I don't want F4. I want 5.6 F8. So that's what I'm changing. But the shutter speed and the um, the muscle memory on those two things by default, I'm at widest aperture. Shutter speed, I'm changing based on the subject that I'm shooting. And then I'll, I'll tweak uh, exposure compensation if I'm shooting up into a silhouetted bird in a tree, overexpose one or two stops. Or uh, if I've got an egret up against a dark background, underexpose two, three stops, whatever it is. Um, but shutter speed, for, for the most part, uh, an aperture, I'm pretty much... When I go out in the field, uh, I've, I can, I'll look at the lights. I'll go, okay, I've got an F8 lens. I'm going to start at 1600. If it gets brighter, I'm going to go up to about 2,500. And start shooting from there. Uh, and then shooting from the hip nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm quite happy with what I'm getting. I've got a shutter speed that nine times out of 10, I've selected based on the lens uh, to start off with. So, you know, if, if it's a 1200 mil lens, I, I, there ain't no way I'm going below a thousandth of a second. As good as that thing is, you need a thousandth of a second minimum on that thing. So um, for the most part, manual is not as scary as, it, as, as you think. You know, it's um, it's one of those things. You've got a 400 mil lens. It's f5.6. Go out in the field. Put your put your lens to 5.6 to blur the background as much as possible. On your on your shutter speed, go to start at 500, which is the lowest you're going to shoot 
uh, under any lighting conditions and put it on auto ISO just and then just bang away for the most part. Oh my God, people spend so much time analyzing and changing and chopping. And I'm like, get the shot. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> my, my entire mentality is take the pick. If it's out of focus, hey, it's art. You know, if it's um, if it's motion blur, I intended that. You know, if it's pin sharp, catch light in the eye, beak open, one wing back, one wing up, one wing down. That's what I planned all along. Um, yeah, the, the, everybody's going to tell you something different. Um, it's what and who you what you prefer. Uh, what I was actually finding, program fully automatic was making too many wrong decisions. And semi-automatic was pretty much giving me manual anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, it's quite interesting, though, because if you look at, I mean, Clint Ralph's a fantastic photographer. You're a fantastic photographer. And I think that, you know, kind of illustrates the point. You know, people need to find what works for them. Yeah. I think that gets it down, I think goes back to the understanding the exposure triangle, you know, the relationship between the different factors and finding what works for you. And I mean, and like you said, keep it simple. I think, you know, I think people complicate it too much yeah. and, and they end up just losing photos because they've just been, they've just overcomplicated what they're doing. It yeah. just, yeah, it sucks and, the life and, out of what you're the, doing. Bi the biggest, biggest, biggest reason I'm finding is that people are scared of ISO. And they have been. And, and it's it's very much a thing that for, for years and years and years, people were petrified of ISO because it was a thing. It's not a thing anymore. And and, and get away from, from, from thinking about ISO. I don't even look at my ISO. I, I, I can't even... I, I don't even conceive of it and unless I get a shot and I'm like, bloody hell, look at that, it's 25,000. And I'm going, sure, it's quite clean. And if it needs processing, I'll go and process it. I, and I'll, I'll get astonishing results. And what I'm seeing out of these new cameras, my God, the, the R3 is a beast. And make no mistake, it is my, my go-to, the first camera I pick up day in, day out. That back illuminated 24 million pixel sensor is truly and utterly exquisite. And 50,000 ISO is just like a, oh, okay. Uh, it's not even a thing I even stress about. But, I mean, I've shot R6 II at 25,000 ISO, and I've gone, that's insane. I've shot R7 at 32,000 ISO and gone, sure, I can't believe it. Um, don't don't fear ISO. Just shoot and shoot from the hip, and it'd be a little bit more in the moment um, than, than, than hyper-analyzing things, if you, if you know what I'm saying. And then I think just, yeah, the last question last week was the BirdLife South Africa African Bird Fair. Yeah. And one of the big parts of it was obviously the the photography competition. Gosh, that was fun. And this might have been a good time to kind of look back and just, I think this might have been a time where, where you would have been able to, by looking through the photographs, almost yeah. see the, the, the impact that mirrorless technology has had on photography. So, sure. yeah, just chat us through what your observations are like is obviously this yeah. gave you a good snapshot of what bird photography as a whole looks like in in south africa specifically uh, absolutely uh, unfortunately it's not the first bird photography competition i've done um I, I did one about sort of two years ago with uh with orms down in cape town and it was quite interesting that trevor and i came to it as as birders and bird photographers but our, our other two judges uh jason who owns orms and uh shaney who's uh, head of tourism in cape town came to it from a, a visual appeal type of angle and um, judging those images, and we got about 5,000 entries, which was kind of hectic. And uh, we ended up having to fight with them. And they were like, but but look at this lilac-breasted roller taking off. It's beautiful. I'm like, yeah, everybody's got one of those. The shot of the Malachite kingfisher with its beak, beak on the tip of the water and the catch light in its eye and all of that lot, oh, that's challenging. Um, but it didn't look as 
visually appealing. So quite an interesting thing having four judges uh, two, two on two in a lot of cases where we were fighting for birds and they were fighting for pretty, uh, which is a totally different thing. And then, um, you know, a couple of other competitions we've done uh, recently. I saw the uh, SA Photographer of the Year Awards, a uh, competition done by a, a young guy called uh, William Steele and um, sponsored by a whole bunch of interesting people, including uh, Charles from Zumanga, etc. Uh, we were also got involved in, in that competition. The Photographer of the Year Awards, when you see the winning image there, absolutely phenomenal. And then uh, come bird life, we were like, okay, let's let's see what we got. And um, an interesting bunch of judges, uh, myself and uh, Prelina Owen. Prelina is uh, a, a multi-award winning um, wildlife photographer, um, very highly respected in her field, published author, um, some amazing, amazing work, but very much an artistic angle, not, not so much uh, technical perfection, but moving at things from a wow kind of angle. And then you throw um, our other judges, Lizette Krobola, if you've ever seen any of her work online. Um, I don't know her personally, but seeing her work uh, made me very, very happy to choose her uh, or have her as uh, one of the, the other judges. And then, of course, Richard Flack. Now, um, Richard's from, from your end of the world, and he takes uh, bird photography to another level. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous uh, when I look at Richard's work because it's like, it's almost sickening. It's so good. Ninety percent of the time, when I look at Richard's picture, Richard's pictures, I'm going, "You bastard!" Um, and it's quite quite funny because Richard and I did a presentation down in Wilderness at the uh, the BirdLife AGM about um, oh, back in May, and uh, I sat on stage in front of people and I said, um, "Yeah, Richard." Ninety percent of my re- my responses to Richard's work is, "You bastard," because you know every every one of us would love a picture of blue swallow. Richard's got perfectly artistically beautiful pictures of blue swallow his, his level of artistry we all want to shot a bearded vulture he's got bearded vulture in a beam of light with the, the giant beautiful amazing mountains in the background and this catch light and the oh my god it's just pure perfection and it, it's annoying how good he is because he's just he's winning awards left right and center and is just truly spectacular but also a very 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 precise shooter his his work is is spectacularly good from a, a sharpness perspective from a composition perspective technically it's perfection um so yeah and and the four of us had this uh, this challenge to go through chunks of images and i think we we got about sort of four thousand entries um we got it down to about 300 then we had to get down from 300 down to about 15 and then from 15 to get to one per category and then the grand winner um i gotta tell you it was hard work and, and again just rolling back to photographer of the year awards um like you know, a week and a half ago in cape town um the judges we don't see the tags on the images we don't see um any things like a watermark we don't see any information we see image 111 image 112 we cannot see who the picture was taken by we cannot see the EXIF tags. We don't know the lens. We don't know the camera. We don't know the settings. We know nothing. We have to judge the image on its own merits. So there's no, no not this sort of situation where um, we as Canon users are looking at the images and going, oh, it's taken on another brand. It's dis- disqualified immediately. So that's completely and utterly out the loop, which I, I think should reassure pretty much all of the people who do enter competition that oh god canon's sponsoring it good luck if you don't use canon because you're not going to win um 
it's completely blind. It's completely anonymous. And we choose the images purely on on, on merit. And um, at the end of the day, I, I, again, I, I, you'll see you'll see when the when the winners get published in the next issue of the magazine, uh, what what was what was shot and what 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 won and what and how. Um, but gosh, it was hard. The quality of work now, jeez. Uh, especially, you know, the, the birds in action category was fantastic. The birds in your garden was so much fun, but the portrait category, um, sure. And then birds in the environment, so many people are getting so, so, so creative. And, and again, look at the winners and, and tell me we, we did a good job because shit, we were up, up late fighting. There was a, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of situations where two judges were, were rating this the best ever and two who didn't even look at it. Um, yeah. That's that's very very hard. We had to get sort of third party people in to come and have a look. So you know, Andy and Andrew from uh, from BirdLife South Africa stepped in, and they were like, "Okay, let's look at this scientifically," and um, applied some mathematical formulas and, and worked from there. So yeah, scarily hard. Make no mistake. Yeah, Richard is a fantastic photographer. I've got to know him as a I've become a good mate. Uh, really, I've, normally once a week we have a chat on the phone, Lacker Oak. Yeah, and I know he's got his whole um, photography mentorship program and does workshops. If you can get on one of those, I think, yeah, it's just going to change your whole approach. It's not, you know, I think with Richard, he's not just an amazing photographer. He's just one of the the nicest, nicest people you'll ever meet. Yeah. And I think he's just one of those people who doesn't just invest into you as a photographer, he invests into you just as a person. So he's just one of those top, top people. So yeah, good, you wanna I'll actually pop a link into the show notes. If you want to go and check out Richard's photography <laughs> mentorship program, yeah, just go check it out. So that's Rich uh, look, got a look free at his advertising work plug there. Be, be, be ready to say jeez. Because so much of it is just like man, how did he do that? He's invited me to go visit him sometime. And I'm like, so like, I'm like super scared. I mean, I'm like, you know, you check his photography and you're like, you know, you're so scared to stand alongside the guy and take a photo. I mean, I'll get a photo of the same picture, the same bird he's looking at. I'll be quite scared to like compare the two. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I must admit, I get, I get that same feeling sometimes where I'm, 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 I'm with, you know, Trevor Hardacre or, you know, list of names um, you can add add to the mix there. I, I've shot with a, a wide variety of people, and and often in a lot of situations, um, they're great people, and they're they're not there to to show that you know, show you that you're a dumbass or or, or to prove that they're better than you. Ninety nine percent of the time, they're people who actually just want to help and improve your work. Um, and Richard, as you say, uh, is is right at the top of the list as far as that guy is concerned. So he. He most certainly is that man. Yeah, but Roger, it's been lacquer to chat. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Um, I know we've got some stuff coming up uh, in the, probably in the next couple of months. Um, but yeah, it's always good to chat. And a little bit, uh, just was just a cool photography chat today. So thanks for being on the show, bro. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk again later in the year once we've got some more interesting things to talk about. Um, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for... Uh, hosting us as always i know it's, it, it comes across as a very sort of canon heavy thing and i try my damnedest you know yes i work for canon but and that's what i talk about but for the most part uh i'm i'm, I'm here to talk about photography and, and birding in particular um it, it, is, it is phenomenal uh, and it's it's it, it blows me away on a day-to-day -day basis um how many people are, are into birding and and the only thing i can say is the more youngsters we get involved the better um We've got to get youth involved, and I know this is where I, as I say, I work very, very hard on on my my, my boy Luke um, to not only you know do better in birding, but also to tell others and to try and get a lot of youngsters in it because 
Um, there's a lot of old bullies, <laughs> a lot of very, very old bullies out there. Um, and it's it's got the stigma attached. Uh, unfortunately, the birding is is an old man's hobby, and it most certainly is not. Um, and I think uh, anything from what you guys are doing, because um, you've got your, your youth birding podcast as well. Uh, am I correct? Are you still doing that? Yeah, and we've also, what's cool, just on a very cool note, which is which is what we've done, we've also um, collaborated, working working with the Young Wilder Photographers page. So we're working with them, and we've got some of their guys involved in our in our youth youth podcast. So oh, it's, some of them are actually hosting shows now, which is so cool. And for, for us, it's all about that, you know, showcasing the youngsters, giving them opportunity. We got, I mean, Gabby and Luca who run that, uh, that 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 thing that that, that platform oh, right. oh, flipping amazing young people and yeah so they actually are two of our two of our ambassadors and and proud so they're actually hosting uh, two of us of the podcast now so it's pretty cool that's brilliant that's brilliant i and i must say, I, I managed to get luke to to start putting stuff on instagram so uh he's only started with his wildlife stuff he hasn't done any of the birding as yet but um yeah and it, some of his pictures were shared by the uh the young wildlife photographers uh instagram page as well so he was really proud to have that happen, but um, it is a good thing. And I, th- I think the more that we do it and, and the more that people like you are, are behind it, um, the happier I am uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a brand brand person. We, we've got to think about the next generation. It's not about the guys who got their cameras, the guys who are buying the ca- next cameras. So, yeah, sorry, it's a blatant sales pitch again, but thanks for everything you do. And uh, again, thanks very much for having us. Uh, it's only a pleasure. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Eh? Rock and roll. Can't wait to see you. Uh, what, like two, three weeks time? Let's go and grab that mangrove. I need to I need to clean that list up. Oh. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.